A note of warning, this podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast, bringing you this week's latest and high-profile and under-the-radar cases across the country for the week of May 10th, 2019. I'm Billy Jensen, and this is Owen Michael. Hello. This week, a Texas bartender is arrested for over-serving a man who went on to shoot and kill eight people, including his estranged wife. A North Carolina man is indicted after allegedly dismembering his two roommates who were in a romantic relationship. A nine-year-old boy allegedly kills his adoptive mother in Michigan in two separate cases of men faking their deaths, one for profit, one to flee, are revealed. The first, a Houston man tells police a wild story about his four-year-old stepdaughter's abduction, and a search for the girl is complicated by the weather and the details. Owen, what's going on with the Malia Davis case out of Houston? Bill, this one's a... This is about uh, Malia Davis out of Houston, Texas, as you say. Uh, Malia Davis is four years old. She's missing. Her stepfather, Darian Vence, is 26 years old. He reported Malia missing at about uh, 10 o'clock Saturday night. Here's what he told police. Darian Vence said he was driving to George Bush Intercontinental Airport, Houston's main airport, on Friday night to pick up his girlfriend, Brittany Bowens, who is Malia's mother. It was about 9 p.m., and he had four-year-old Malia, along with his one-year-old son, in the car with him, both of them in the back seat. Vence said he heard a popping sound outside of his car, a Nissan Altima. He pulled over to check his tires. He said a Chevy pickup truck pulled up behind him. He said three men got out of the truck. He said one of the men commented that Malia looks, quotes, very nice, very sweet. He said that one of the other men then hit him over the head, knocking him out. This was 9 p.m. last Friday. He said uh, he told police that the next thing he knew, he woke up at about 6 p.m. on Saturday. He said his one-year-old son was with him, but Malia was gone. He has also claimed that he woke up at some point before then in the back of the truck with Malia and the boy, with the three men also in the truck. At about 10 p.m. Saturday night, four hours after he claims he woke up, he got medical attention for himself and reported Malia missing, and he reported his car was stolen. He had reportedly walked to Sugarland Methodist Hospital from the side of Highway 6 near First Colony Mall. That's a distance of less than a mile. And police say uh, Vence has changed his story multiple times during questioning and that there are a lot of blanks. That's their quote. An Amber Alert was issued for Malia and authorities launched a search for the girl. Unfortunately, that search was suspended this week due to severe weather in the Houston area. The search resumed Thursday morning. More heavy rain, however, is expected through Saturday at least. Houston police have taken over the investigation with input from Sugarland and Missouri City Police. Vence is not currently charged and is not considered a suspect in Malia's disappearance. However, on Thursday, KTRK ABC 13 reported that Houston police say they want Darian Vence to help with police composite sketches on these three suspects that were in this Chevy. But they have not spoken to him in a couple days. They are still looking for him. As of Thursday. Also Thursday morning, a woman who was following the case called police and reported the missing car in a strip mall parking lot in Missouri City in the southwest outskirts of the city of Houston, just south of Sugarland. And police confirmed that it is Darren Vance's car. A homicide detective said the car was clean. There was no visible evidence in the vehicle, but that it was on its way to being analyzed by police and the car was unlocked when police were investigating. 
The Altima was spotted on surveillance camera in the Sugarland area about 3 p.m. on Saturday. So uh, Malia Davis, to complicate things, uh, she's in need of medical care. She is, uh, she's had at least two brain surgeries in the past two months to, to treat a head injury. She need, is in need of medication and medical attention as this is ongoing. The injury was reported to Child Protective Services last August. CPS then took custody of Malia and her two siblings, a five-year-old and a one-year-old, both boys, and they investigated her head, her head injuries. The one-year-old son is uh, Malia's half-brother. Uh, it's unclear exactly how a five-year-old is uh, related, but uh, they're considering her a brother, her, his brother, her brother. January court documents did not confirm if the head injuries were from abuse. Malia and her brothers were returned to the home in February with continued monitoring by caseworkers required by the court. They, they've been living with Brittany Bowens, Bowens' boyfriend, Darian Vents, and Bowens' mother. Malia's grandmother had urged them to take Malia to the hospital after a particular incident. Malia's mother told uh, KTRK, this is Brittany Bowens, uh, she said that Malia sustained her injuries from falling off of a chair. Medical professionals reportedly disputed that explanation, however. Uh, half of Malia's skull had to be removed yeah. to, uh, uh, in surgery to relieve cranial pressure, and there was concern about bleeding on the brain. Court records say that uh, she suffered, uh, quotes, traumatic brain injury with evidence of more than one injury while in possession of her mother and Darian Vents. Quotes, neither caregiver had an explanation that was consistent with the injury. KHOU 11 reports that Child Protective Services caseworkers said there was a, quotes, a reason to believe there was neglectful supervision in their words. But, uh, quotes, the doctor could not confirm whether or not injuries were caused by abuse. Then a judge ordered a monitored return to the home for Malia, requiring a caseworker to go at least once a month to check on the family. Parenting classes were also ordered, but they have not been completed, according to court records. Yeah, so again, we've got, much like we had last week, we have another CPS case. Uh, it's the hardest job in the world. It's the worst job in the world. It but, sounds like uh, these caseworkers knew what they were up against as yeah. well, but, uh, you know, they're dealing with the, uh, the, the court requirements, and, and yeah. uh, here we are. Yeah, because an, an emergency hearing on Wednesday morning, the court banned Malia and her brothers from having any contact with the children. Is that right? Yeah, uh, this week. They, uh, uh, that was the latest ruling. Well, Malia wouldn't have contact with the children, though. Uh, excuse me. I wrote that uh, uh, a little awkwardly. Pardon. The court banned uh, the parents, uh, Darian Vance okay. and uh, Brittany Bowens, from having any contact right. with Malia and her two brothers. Pardon the. Uh, so, the, in uh, an, an emergency hearing Wednesday morning, the court banned the parents uh, from having any contact with Malia and her brothers. The youngest boy is ordered to stay with his paternal grandmother. The older boy, five years old, is in custody of his paternal aunt. And if Malia is found alive, she'll stay with the same aunt. Mother and father vents to have no contact with the children, court records said. The search and recovery organization, Texas uh, EquiSearch, has joined the search for Malia. Yeah, I was actually on a, uh, a boat, search and rescue boat, with Tim for a case in Arkansas, spent the whole day with him. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he will stop at nothing. His daughter was abducted and murdered in uh, 1984. And he, like uh, Julie said, he devotes his entire life to this. And, um, you know, her picture is on the cover of his, uh, of the website. And, Motivated. you know, he actually, 
he 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 would tell me, you know, whenever he wants to give up, he looks at her and 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 he keeps going. So, you know, they're they've you know it started out with doing EquiSearch just with horses, but they do ATVs, they do trucks, they do dogs, they do helicopters, they do boats, which is what I was on with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna keep going. But he's also he's a smart guy too, and he knows what's up. Yeah, and uh, EquiSearch certainly has uh, one of the leading reputations for this kind of stuff ac- across the country, and uh, um, it's it's. Especially now when they've got a rain situation, you know, Houston's been getting deluged for uh, in past years and there's going to be flooding. I've already reading weather reports out there and stuff. So you definitely want sort of an all-terrain force of people out there looking for for this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, the the details that were put out was uh, Malia was last seen wearing blue jeans, a pink bow in her hair, a light blue zip jacket, and gray, white, and pink shoes. And this vehicle of interest, the supposed um, Chevy pickup truck that pulled up behind the car and and, um, supposedly knocked Vince on the head, is described as a blue 2010 Chevy crew cab pickup truck with unknown license plates. Uh, Again, you know, this, this happened Friday night at 9 p.m. and the man didn't wake up until 6 p.m. the next day from, mm-hmm. uh, from a bump on the head. And there's, there's a lot of, as they say, there's some, a lot of blank spaces in this story. Yeah. So moving on to another Texas story. Yeah. Lindsey Glass in Plano. So a 27-year-old bartender was arrested last week in Plano, Texas, and charged with a misdemeanor for serving an intoxicated man who then went on to his estranged wife's house and murdered eight people before the cops killed him. Glass was charged with violating a Texas alcohol code, which is titled Sale to Certain Persons. A person commits an offense if the person with criminal negligence sells an alcoholic beverage to a habitual drunkard or an intoxicated or insane person. That reads the law. The penalty is up to a year in jail or a $500 fine or both. And on September 10, 2017, Spencer Height, 32 years old, went to a bar called the Local Public House in Plano. He reportedly had four drinks there served by Lindsey Glass. Height's blood alcohol level was four times the Texas legal limit when he left and drove to the house of 27-year-old Meredith Lane, who had filed for divorce about two months earlier. She was hosting a cookout for a Dallas Cowboys watch party. Spencer Height arrived with a 38 caliber handgun and an AR-15 rifle. In the car, police later found more ammo and binoculars. The house belonged to the couple, but Height had been living in an apartment. He shot his wife and eight other people. His wife was killed. 23-year-old woman survived. Those killed were all in their 20s and 30s. An officer responding to multiple 911 calls heard gunfire, went into the house, and shot and killed Height. Plano police said it was the worst mass shooting in the city's history. That's right. Uh, This happened, as you said, in September 2017. Uh... Earlier, uh, earlier that same day at the bar, Spencer Height was apparently visibly drunk. Surveillance video shows Height displaying a large knife and spinning it on the bar in front of staff. The staff told a manager about him, concerned about the situation. Lindsay Glass, who was uh, attending bar, she texted another bartender at the bar during this incident. Uh, her, her text re- reads, quotes, Spencer has a big knife on the bar and is spinning it and just asked for his tab and said, I have to go do some dirty work, Uh, followed by Psycho. That bartender she texted then confronted Spencer Height on the patio. The bartender told police the bar manager told him not to call police. Lindsay Glass herself had also texted a bartender about uh, Height saying Height had been in the bar earlier, had two gins, and he only had two beers and a shot when he came back. I think he was at another bar while he was gone. 
Victims' families had sued the local public house bar and Lindsay Glass for a million dollars. That civil suit was later dropped. Last August, the bar agreed to cancel its alcohol permit and the bar was closed down. Glass's attorney told CBS News, when Lindsay became suspicious of height, she contacted her manager. When her manager's efforts did not resolve Lindsay's concerns, she followed Height, and then as her concerns grew, she called 911. Lindsay never expected for Height to commit this uh, horrific act. He goes on to say, not only did she know Spencer, but she was friends with Meredith and was supposed to be at the party that night. Wow. So, Owen, you're a bartender. I was. What do they train you in terms of uh, cutting somebody off? Well, uh, it's never a fun situation. You certainly have to be diplomatic but firm because as you, as anybody who's ever been tipsy uh, usually doesn't think that they are as much and uh, they might be a little bit demonstrative. So, uh, but state to state, there's, it's fairly the same across the board. You have uh, certain indicators, certain uh, behaviors. If they come in completely drunk, uh, you, you you should not serve them. It's not legal to uh, whether they're driving or not. It could be a public nuisance, public intoxication, that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's never a fun situation because people that do take it too far are also generally the type of people that will object to uh, being told that you can't have any more. You're, you're over the line. Um, so, But it's unfortunately part of the job, and uh, it's in everybody's best interest. To me, it sounds like this woman – was giving the benefit of the doubt to this guy who she knew. Uh, it sounds like he was, uh, from what I've read as well, sort of a regular at this place. Yeah. Um, so, but she was picking up on the signals, and uh, from the, the background stuff that I'm reading, they essentially handled this correctly, except in the eyes of the law, the fact that she had served him two beers and a, and, and a shot if he was already sort of buzzing. I mean, there's a fine line between somebody who's sort of buzzing mm-hmm. on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. But four times cases. the legal limit, though. I mean, if it was two times the legal limit, somebody can hide that four times the legal limit, especially he was showing. But as soon as he started showing potentially violent behavior with the knife and they saying he's got to go do dirty work, she did escalate it. So it's a tough call. I wonder if they'll also try to bring back that civil suit now that um, but you know what? The bar is closed. Well, and probably there's nobody to sue. Yeah, there's that. And, you know, there's also it's, it's tough to prove. Did he stop somewhere else? Uh, did he have a, a, a bottle in his car? Right. Did he, you know, was he drinking heavily right before he right walked before in? Right before he went then, in, yeah. And then when he left, it was sort of snowballing, and that's when the, the blood alcohol content went through the roof. Um, but, yeah, the, the lawyer, he's transparently saying that the police are looking for somebody to blame yeah. in this and, and she's sort of a scapegoat. So she's uh, she was arrested. All right. Well, let's go to North Carolina now in the case of Tyrone Gladden. So a North Carolina grand jury indicted Tyrone Dante Gladden this week. Gladden is charged with two counts of first degree murder and two counts of dismembering human remains to conceal an unnatural death to give you a clue of what we're about to cover here. Yeah. Tyrone Gladden was sharing an apartment with two roommates in Winston-Salem in 2017. Winston-Salem police went to, the, went to their apartment in July 2017 to check on the welfare of Gladden's roommates, Michael Craig Jr., who's 36, and Devetta Carnetta Campbell, who's 40. Family members had called police when they hadn't heard from either person for more than a month. Michael Craig's sister told police she had, that uh, Michael had not picked up his children and she could not contact him, which was highly unusual, she said. 
Devetta Campbell's family had also been trying to reach her by phone and in person without success. The officers found the apartment empty. It had been stripped of its carpeting as well as the carpet padding. The property managers uh, told police they had not removed the carpet and were uh, not aware of that. Police then searched the area around the apartment complex. They found a human torso in the woods behind the building. More human remains were subsequently found in the same area. Days later, police determined the remains were from two different people. They also found blood in different areas of the apartment. So Gladden allegedly stabbed Devetta Campbell in the chest and in the neck. Then he allegedly stabbed Michael Craig 18 times in the chest and neck. Some anger. Was it? That's some anger right yeah, there. No. Yeah, yeah. the attacks happened sometime in the last two weeks of June 2017. That's what Monday's indictment alleges. According to search warrants, Gladden was seen driving Michael Craig's car in the days after Craig and Campbell disappeared. And Gladden was also reportedly seen moving things out of the apartment, including carpet. The car was found the week before the bodies were about eight miles away near a hotel uh, with its windows and sunroof open, apparently abandoned. Authorities allege that Tyrone Gladden stabbed both his roommates in their apartment, then dismembered their bodies. He allegedly wrapped them up in the carpet and disposed of them in the woods behind the apartment building. Police took a large knife and a small knife from the apartment, as well as DNA samples and hair fibers, according to court documents. Gladden's girlfriend told Winston-Salem police that she had seen decomposing bodies in his search history uh, on his computer tablet. So he was searching for decomposing bodies. Gladden was arrested about a month after the murders in August of 2017. Michael Craig Jr. had five daughters. Devetta Campbell had an adult son. The two were dating. Campbell had moved into the apartment in June, the month before the murders. Gladden is currently being held without bond, and no trial date has been set. Roommate situations, uh, it's, uh, it's escalating way too far there. Pauline Randall uh, is our next case out of uh, Michigan. It's a sad story this week. Uh, Pauline Randall was 51 years old. She was found shot to death inside her Michigan home early Monday. A nine-year-old boy was charged with her murder on Wednesday morning, Mm -hmm. uh, excuse me, Wednesday this week. Police have not said if he's charged as an adult or a juvenile. The boy's not being identified, obviously, because he's a minor. Uh, The woman was shot with a rifle in her own living room. Pauline Randall had adopted this nine-year-old boy in 2016, Mm. reportedly from a mother who had a drug problem. A family member says the boy's mother used methamphetamine during her pregnancy. Randall's adult daughter... Uh, This is Pauline Randall, the uh, deceased woman. Her adult daughter said her mother had been trying to get mental health treatment for the boy and had managed to book an appointment for him for Tuesday of this week. He had been undergoing a psychiatric evaluation at a facility run by the state of Michigan. The daughter said the family's health insurance did not cover at least some of the appointments, so Randall had to pay out of pocket, according to the daughter, for Tuesday's appointment. The daughter told the Detroit News the boy is, quotes, a sweet, caring young man who needed help further than the help my mother gave him, and she tried. So this took place in Fawn River Township, directly on the Michigan-Indiana border. A neighbor told WXMI Fox 17, quote, My wife and I both, when we heard that the woman was shot, we both looked at each other and said, I bet it was him. He told the TV station that the boy has shot at his grandchildren with a BB gun, and a bow and arrow from the yard in the past. Pauline Randall's other adult daughter told 
Wood TV, Channel 8 in Michigan. I want people to know that he's not a bad kid. She went on to say, he started on medication last week. Who knows how that reacted? He had, quote, just recently started snapping, she said. She said Randall had told her doctor she was scared she was raising the next serial killer. This daughter said the boy asked where his mother was in court on Tuesday, saying he has no idea what happened the day before. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's one of these tight stories. We've covered a couple of these recently about uh, the timing. It's just tragic, the fact that, uh, you know, she had finally managed to get this thing going on Tuesday, but uh, the day before was when this happened. No, and I think this is a case that is going to be studied because of, you know, being being born with a drug addiction, um, then getting into therapy, getting into uh, on medication and how that medication interacted with him. Uh, I have a lot of questions. People are going to have a lot of questions. Mental health professionals are going to have a lot of questions. And, um, you know, you don't want to, you never want to say, oh, let's use this nine-year-old kid as a, as a guinea pig or, or whatever. But, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of charging him as, a, as an adult, if they're even just thinking of that, with, it, it is, is ridiculous. It's obvious that I, I don't think he had any, any sense also of what was going on. Yeah, He's asking and, where his and, mother was. And I have to think that with the medication and everything, uh, this is, even for a public defender, that's where they would go with uh, you know, yeah. plausible deniability or, or uh, uh, not presence of mind for this, yeah. as well as a nine-year-old, you know, it's intent is a tough thing to, to prove in an adult, much less a, yeah, absolutely. a nine-year-old. But, yeah. um, so um, now we're going to Florida. Michael Manning, 58 years old, was arrested in Florida last week, way down south in Monroe County, home to the Florida Keys. So who's Michael Manning? Originally, he's from Chico, California, about three hours south of the Oregon border. And he's alleged to have faked his own death to avoid charges of child molestation and child pornography. The Chico Enterprise record reports that Manning pled no context, no contest, excuse me, to charges in June 2016 and posted $215,000 bail and was released pending a sentencing hearing in court scheduled for three months later in October. And police said that Manning uh, missed that date. The day after the hearing, a car rented in Manning's name was found near the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. And there was a suicide note in the car uh, that was written in Manning's handwriting, and a body was not found. And now we know why a body was not found. So uh, police suspected he had not, in fact, killed himself. They began monitoring an associate of Michael Manning's, who they think helped him get away, making international travel arrangements. The FBI and the U.S. Marshals got involved in the case. Police believe they narrowly missed catching Manning on more than one occasion in California. So last week, Monroe County Sheriff's deputies, uh, all the way down the beautiful Florida Keys, responded to a burglary alarm at a business at a marina on Key West. Next to the property, they found a man living in a storage trailer, like in one of those big uh, tanker-looking storage trailers, mm-hmm. a Canex, as they're known. It's unclear if he was a burglary suspect in this, but uh, or whether they just yeah. found him while they were investigating the premises and looking around. The man told deputies his name was William Wallace Littlejohn. Points for creativity there, buddy. Yeah. And gave them, uh, he gave police a U.S. Navy ID card and a passport. Documents were determined to be fake, and they arrested the man. He was booked in the Monroe County Jail, where his fingerprints identified him as fugitive Michael Manning. Manning is in the process of being extradited back to California, where he'll face the original charges as well as failure to appear. And now attack on charges of providing false name and identification 
to law enforcement in Florida. So the old Golden Gate uh, Bridge jumped yeah, off a good, trick. Good here. job on the FBI and the U.S. Marshals. That's all for that. Just going going after him. I've worked with the U.S. Marshals in the past, and they can be really relentless. Um, you don't and, want those uh, guys on your. You no, don't want them on your. Trip. No, and the fact that they were. Uh, you know, I mean, th- there could have been a possibility that he was dead, mm-hmm. but they said, you know what? A little too neat. We're, it's a little bit too neat. It's a little bit too easy. Uh, we're going to keep going after this guy. And they got him. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well done. We're going to go to Minneapolis now. We're going to go far away from the Florida Keys. So far. So far. Uh, this next story. Uh, yeah, this takes us to Minneapolis and, and beyond. It involves uh, another criminal faking his own death. This time for profit. So there's a guy named Igor Vorotinov. He's 54 years old. He pleaded guilty last week in Minneapolis to mail fraud. Vorotinov was a resident of Maple Grove, Minnesota, a suburb of Minneapolis, where he was an auto mechanic and and an auto dealer. Back in 2010, he took out a $2 million life insurance policy. He named his ex-wife Irina his primary beneficiary. The Twin Cities Pioneer Press reports that Vorotinov then left the state of Minnesota to move to Moldova, an Eastern European country situated between Romania and Ukraine. Seven months later, Irina Vorotinov was notified a body was found in Moldova, bearing her ex-husband Igor's passport and other ID on him. The decomposed body was found in bushes on the side of a dirt road in a small rural town in Moldova. He was well-dressed. He did not appear to have been victim of foul play. The local medical examiner figured the man had a heart attack. Irina flew to Moldova, where she identified the dead man as her ex-husband. She had the body cremated there, then took an urn with the ashes back to Minnesota. She held a well-attended funeral in Minneapolis area, submitted the death certificate, and received a check for $2 billion from the insurance company. So then a year later... One of the two grown Voratinov sons was in Moldova visiting a family friend. And the Washington Post reports the son was at a party one night when he ran into, who else? His dad. But the son never told anyone. Igor had split the insurance check with his ex-wife and was living under a false name. After that, the son returned to Moldova to visit his father more than once. The FBI got a tip from someone in Moldova that Igor was alive and living there. Investigators detained the older son on a return trip to the States in November 2013. They found recent photos on the son's laptop proving that Igor was still alive. In 2015, the son and his mother, Arena, were arrested. The son's attorney claimed he was a victim of deceit, but as part of a plea agreement, he got his dad, Igor, on the phone in Moldova with prosecutors on the line, and Igor spun a story about how he had been kidnapped in Moldova and had been forced into the insurance and ransom scheme. Prosecutors say he was attempting to spare his ex-wife charges. Igor was arrested last November in Moldova and extradited to the United States. Arena pled guilty in 2016 and got 37 months in prison. And Igor's 29-year-old son pleaded guilty in 2015 to not reporting this fraud scheme, and he got three years probation. Yeah, uh, apparently during this phone call with prosecutors or in a subsequent phone call, they said, essentially, you know, you need to come back and, and, and deal with this. And Igor said, uh, no, I'm going to stay here and I'm living with my girlfriend in a remote part of Moldova. I think I'll just stay. Uh, 
And then they said, no, actually, we have an extradition agreement and Moldovan authorities uh, nabbed him mm-hmm. to his surprise, shipped him back to the United States. So uh, uh, you don't always get what you want. Prosecutors alleged that uh, everybody was in on this, including the local officials suspected of being paid to falsify reports. Sure. So where do you get a body? This is the question. Mm. The insurance company had hired an inter, uh, an international investigations firm to confirm Igor's death, as, as they will do. Yeah. But they say the medical examiner, morgue employees, and police officers were lying in interviews. Igor Vorotinov pleaded guilty last Friday and is sentenced to be – he's set to be sentenced in July. The Minneapolis Star Tribune reports that Igor took a plea deal in exchange for about three and a half years in prison. He remains in jail awaiting sentencing. It's still unclear who the dead man was or how he got that way. That is the big question right now. Who was this dead man? Life is cheap some places. Yeah. Um, So, you know, we at um, True Crime Daily, the Facebook page, the largest true crime Facebook page, and the most active true crime Facebook page, we get a lot of comments. That's true. We read all of them. We read... Not all of them. We read some of them. So uh, this story, and typically I try to pull one that is a little bit more lighthearted, but this story blew up yesterday on um, on mm-hmm. social. That's the nerves. Judge rules three-year-old must receive chemotherapy against parents' wishes. So Noah McAdams, who was diagnosed with acute, what is that? Let's do that again. Lymphoblastic? Mm-hmm. Lymphoblastic? Mm-hmm. Noah Adams, who was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leuke- leukemia, was ordered by a judge to complete at least the first phase of a prescribed chemotherapy treatment. The boy's parents had asked the court to allow them to forego chemo in favor of alternative treatments, including medicinal cannabis, vitamins, and diet, according to CNA, a CNN affiliate WFLA. And there were a lot of comments. Um, Emily B. said, my grandma had cancer, and a lot of personal stories, too. Emily B. said... My grandma had cancer five times each time. She had um, various aggressive kinds. She chose chemo and radiation, beating it four times. Chemo has been known to help people. Why risk it? Jamie T. said, all I can do is pray, but listening to these parents, I do truly believe they love their son, and they are just seeking a second opinion, maybe an alternative treatment plan. D.M. said, there should not be courts involved in this. Chemo and radiation have some severe long-term effects because they are essentially toxins. If the parents choose not to use this approach, it should be up to them. Yeah, this is. A, I think that's the biggest part of the backlash is the fact that the courts are intervening here and yeah. forcing them to uh, undergo some treatment, which is particularly apt these days in the whole <clears throat> there's the anti-vaccine yes. uh, debate raging across the country these days. So it's uh, it dovetails with And that. then Nikki P., uh, wrote back, I am so pissed right now. I cannot believe that I'm reading in these comments stating it is the parent's choice. The parent's choice to kill their child, and this is all caps, by the way. Mm. The parent's choice to kill their child with some hippy-dippy BS. She didn't say BS. She said the uh, mm. word. The, uh, when there is a cure that has a 90% cure rate in children, what the F is wrong with you people? And it goes on and on and on. Uh, Katie P. said, chemo kills, cannabinoids heal, marijuana heals, SMFH... Shaking my effing head. Uh, shame on this judge. God bless the parents and their sweet baby. God watch over him. So. A strong feelings. <clears throat> and, yeah. you know, uh, legitimate debate on both sides there. Yeah. Uh, they've got good points, but uh, the judge uh, took his measure. Yeah. And I want to I want to pull out another one, too, um, because with the shooting that happened at the STEM school um, Colorado. in Colorado, there was a sixth grader named Nate 
who was interviewed with uh, Brooke Baldwin on CNN, and he wrote, um, you know, Nate froze as more gunshots rang out. A siren rang and someone cracked a joke. His teacher shushed the students, uh, or as he said, told the student students to show up and move them behind a desk and then to a closet. And so he's in this closet and he told CNN, I had my hand on a metal baseball bat just in case because I was going to go down fighting if I was going to go down. Sixth grade. You know, um, Eleanor V said, it makes me sick that our kids even think like this. They're children. They shouldn't know about gun attacks. This world has just gone crazy. Uh, Renee asked, God bless this brave little boy. Um, a lot of sweet, but, you know, uh, Lisa P said, come to school in UK, mate. Don't have to worry about getting shot or fighting, which somebody then said, yeah, you just have to worry about knives and, and acid attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there was a, this opened up the the uh, armed guards in schools. Uh, Alicia A. said, we need armed guards at all schools to protect our children. This won't be the last shooting. What are we waiting for? Uh, A lot of more people said that. Uh, Connor C. responded to Alicia by saying, I'm with you, but at Parkland, the armed guard didn't even do what he needed to do. He ran. Yeah, in this particular case, it was uh, two students that are widely credited uh, with charging the gunman and uh, unfortunately lost their lives. But uh, um yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's and those then those awful. students are heroes too. Indeed. So, um, this is what we've this is what we've come to. Yeah. Another week in crime in America. Yep. So, um, if you want to uh, uh, subscribe to us, please do uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on. Are we on iHeartRadio? Uh, we're not. We're on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Okay. Uh, you can download our weekly podcast there. Uh, you can check out our content. We also run this on YouTube uh, and Facebook. And TrueCrimeDaily.com is the source of all of our information and news. And you can find everything, including pictures and more content of these stories and much more. Also, if you have uh, comments or questions about the show, call us up and leave us a message at 888-548-9758. We'd love to hear from you uh, in your own words, in your own voice. Be advised where your recording could be aired in any of our future podcasts, hopefully. You know, uh, add your voice to our, to our, uh, to our show. Until uh, next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast reminding you, Bill. Don't do crimes. Don't do crimes.